Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening! Now, on to the episode. Season 2, Episode 12, Bad Eggs. Really bad eggs. Uh, <laughs> what a strange episode. What a strange time. <laughs> is, is it, though? I mean, we've had a praying mantis who steals teenage boys. And, <laughs> like, like, is this really strange for Buffy? I think this is the thing. Is I, I think maybe it's a bit strange coming off the previous couple of episodes yes. that we had. Yes. But I am going to say kind of the same thing I said about Ted last week. I think this episode gets a bad rap. I actually really enjoyed this episode. I think it is doing some really interesting things, especially with Buffy's relationship with Joyce. Mm-hmm. I, I think this episode deserves more credit than it gets now that I've rewatched it. And, you know, as we're talking and thinking about things critically, I'm like, hey, and I will also add, because again, we get flack for our Xander slander. So I kind of want to make a point whenever I say something good about Xander to just kind of really hammer that home. I am praising <laughs> Xander here. I don't mind Xander in this episode. I think he actually does a pretty good job of not being annoying. And there are, there's especially a few situations in which he could be extremely pervy or something, and he's uh-huh. not. And so I'm liking that. I want bad egg Xander more often, please. (laughs) Well, we're going to have an interesting conversation. I was very surprised that some things made it into this episode at all. Like, did I enjoy the episode? I did because I haven't seen it in a very long time. There are definitely themes and relationship building and plot building in this episode that I think are really important. And saying that this episode is very much a setup episode to me. It's like it's setting things up for the future. But I am curious to talk to you about certain scenes that I'm just like, what is this doing in here? Uh, And then other scenes that I thought were actually quite lovely. So I'm excited to talk about it. All right. All right. We start off with Buffy and her mom, Joyce, at the Sunnydale Mall. What a mall. What? Again, why does Sunnydale have these amazing amenities? <laughs> this mall is enormous. It's enormous for a town of 5,000 people. Right? It's got more than one level. Uh, for context, Steph and I hail from a town that's about 100,000 people. And our mall, I mean, we have a couple, but we really only have the one. Our mall does not have multiple levels, and it doesn't have smooth classical music playing like in throughout the mall. Yeah, it's not swanky. <laughs> no, like this. This is that mall is probably as swanky, if not swankier, than most of the shopping places in Toronto. So yeah, and I would say, I mean, I said five thousand is a joke, but I'm pretty sure Sunnydale has like forty thousand people in it. Uh, this mall does not should not exist in Sunnydale, just like the zoo and the monster truck rally <laughs> and the beautiful museum. These all, maybe, all these things. 
Maybe they're all one place, right? (laughs) And it just changes throughout, like, every couple of weeks, the owner, like, opens a different business. (laughs) That's smart, because obviously it's working for them, some sort of crazy business scheme. But anyway, the mall is amazing. Buffy and her mom are shopping. Buffy wants an outfit that Joyce says makes her look like a streetwalker. Because remember, don't forget, Buffy can only choose between being a virginal priss or a slut. So there's only two options here. So she wanted to buy a slut costume. That's for Willow. She wanted to buy a slut outfit. It's a whole thing. So Joyce needs flyers for her opening because she works at the gallery, don't forget. So she'll be going to the printers and she tells Buffy to go to the tailors and pick up her dress. So it does sound like Joyce is killing it at her job. And we're coming off of the last episode, which was also heavily featuring Joyce and Buffy and Joyce's relationship. So I do think it's nice to start off this episode with the two of them spending time together in this mall. But I think for whatever reason, I, co- I concentrated again on Joyce's job, which I think is actually quite similar to mine, and how busy she is and how dedicated she is to work. And this reminded me of somebody, uh, of one of our listeners, Spencer, who had messaged me and theorized that the reason that Joyce is in Sunnydale, the reason that she got this job at Sunnydale is because the Watchers Council had set it up uh, before the pilot that they would move to Sunnydale and that's an easy way to get Joyce there with Buffy. And I think I had alluded to this as well in the pilot when Buffy's like, I'm only here because my mom got a job here. It's like, well, why do you think your mom got a job there, Buffy? And Spencer's saying, why do you think the job keeps Joyce so busy and away from home? So this is just an idea about Joyce's job and how A lot of the reasons she's either there or not there have to do with her job at the gallery. So Buffy goes off to the tailors, but as she's on the escalator, she sees this cowboy, like a literal cowboy, (laughs) talking up this girl. They're canoodling. And the mirror is directly across from the escalator, and Buffy notices there's no reflection from the cowboy. Therefore, he is a vampire. So she follows them into the arcade, (laughs) like the abandoned arcade in the mall, where the vampire is telling the girl, ain't you just the prettiest little neck I ever did see? And he's got that <laughs> accent. Yeah. So why is this vampire Southern? Like, I don't, I don't know. It's very random. I don't, this isn't, this is my first thing that I wanted to bring up with you, Kara. Why is this vampire here? Why? I mean, we're going to learn more about this vampire. What is he doing here? Why is he th- Southern? Why well, is he a cowboy? The mall is probably a good place to hang out during the day as a vampire. You know, if you can oh, avoid smart. the windows and like there's not that many windows in a mall. So as long as you're avoiding like the glass entrances and, you know, most malls have like big skylights in the open areas. So you'd have to avoid those. But if, if you know what areas to avoid, there's a lot of very open indoor spaces And if you feel like blending in with humans and maybe grabbing a snack later on, you know, the the mall seems like a good hunting ground if you want to be awake during the day. So smart. And this dark, dark arcade is a great place to lure your victims. Good thing Buffy's there. She's like, oh, honey, like I thought you said you never cheat on me again or something. So the girl runs away. Buffy and this cowboy fight and the cowboy introduces himself as lyle gorch and just it's just strange it's just a strange thing he's got the southern accent he's chewing up that scenery with this character (laughs) and i just think that it's it's just odd it's just odd so anyway 
Buffy pulls out a stake after they fight for a bit and the guy says, this ain't over and runs away. So Buffy finds her mom in the food court who has been waiting there with what looks like the nastiest Manchu walk <laughs> food. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like, so looks so bad. And Joyce notices that Buffy does not have the dress she was supposed to pick up and asks Buffy if she was distracted by a boy. Buffy says she's sorry. Well, Buffy says technically... That she was, right? Because she was distracted by a boy. She was. And, you know, I like how that's the first place Joyce goes, right? Is, oh, Buffy's late because she must have been distracted by a boy. <laughs> yeah, and then Joyce says, a little responsibility is all I ask. Honestly, don't you ever think about anything besides boys and clothes? And Buffy says, saving the world from vampires? So again, Buffy blatantly <sighs> tells her mother her secret and Joyce just scoffs and says, I don't know what goes on in your head. <laughs> so let's pause for a moment, though. Mm. Joyce, what is wrong with Buffy not thinking about anything besides boys and clothes? Those seem like very normal things for a young, straight teenage girl to be thinking of. Mm hmm. Don't you want your daughter to be thinking of ordinary teenage things, right? Like, wouldn't it be strange if your daughter were thinking of drugs and doing backflips on her Harley? Like, <laughs> well, Joyce, I kind of feel like you're creating a problem out of nothing here. However, I will say that if I were to put myself in Joyce's shoes, she gave Buffy one simple task, which was to pick up my dry cleaning Mm -hmm. Buffy shows up what looks like half an hour late with cold Manchu walk on the table and without the dress. So I think Joyce is just like, where the fuck were you? And why can't that, you? That is fair. I just. Yeah. I know. I see what <sighs> you're saying, too. I think we I think we both we understand where Joyce is coming from. But at the same time, Buffy's not doing anything wrong. In fact, she is saving the world from vampires. So. <laughs> well, and as we're going to see later in the episode, right, Joyce is continuing her parenting style that we saw earlier this season of hot and cold where sometimes she doesn't do anything <laughs> and other times she comes down incredibly hard on Buffy and it's like yeah. you never know which Joyce you're going to get and it's because she you know she listened to these books on tape about parenting or whatever you know as we joked <laughs> yeah, in season yeah. one like she seems to not quite have a handle on this whole single mom parent life and she's struggling a bit so her her parenting style is very inconsistent, even yeah. within a single episode. Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, you think about back to Prophecy Girl, she's buying Buffy a, the, her dress of her dreams and like telling her about, you know, relating to her about going to a dance. And now she's just like, I don't know what's wrong with you. All you think about is dances and boys and, like, you know, <laughs> so you're right. Hot and cold is a really good way to describe Joyce. So. Cut to credits. The next day at school, Xander and Cordelia are making out hard in the janitor's closet. And by the way, there's a lot of kissing in this episode. This is a very horny episode. <laughs> yeah, it is. And Cordy is worried that they'll miss class. And Xander turns the light on and says, this would work a lot better if you didn't talk. And I know earlier you said, you said Xander didn't bother you in this episode. This bothered me. <laughs> no, no, no. I said Xander didn't bother me as much in this episode. <laughs> right. I, I right. think overall... Xander is far more tolerable in this episode, but I am right there with you, Steph. Like this particular scene, Xander does not come off well. Yeah. Um, but I, I I think as the episode goes on, I was liking what Xander was doing more and more. 
So. Yeah, well, maybe perhaps we're starting to see hot and cold Xander for us as yeah. critics as well, because, you know, it used to be every episode, like, he could literally not be worse, but he is starting to be like, okay, that was actually pretty good, Xander, or you're brave here, well, or that was funny. And then at the other time, he says something like this, and it makes me so angry. So it's like half and half. Well, I think what we see in this episode is his more heroic qualities coming out, you know, and pe people have commented on this and mm -hmm. one of the defenses we get when we do our xander slander is people are like but he's he's so heroic sometimes and sometimes i think we do see that in this episode he acquits himself the best in this episode when it's confronting the threat of this episode whereas when he's interacting as a high school teenage boy with something like <laughs> cordelia yeah he's still ugh, xander so it's almost like we see like you said, hot and cold, or like the two different versions of him, hero Xander and teenage Xander. Yeah. Uh, and, and something that I've tried to make clear is I'm not denying that Xander can be heroic. I'm just saying it doesn't excuse his perviness and misogyny <laughs> and stuff. So yes. when I say that I enjoyed Xander in this episode, <laughs> I still think he's problematic AF, and we will continue to explore that throughout this this TV series. But I did promise our listeners that <laughs> I will give him his due in those moments when he is heroic or whatever. So we'll see that later. But for now, uh, so Xander has just insulted Cordelia and basically told her to shut up. Well, so when he says this would work a lot better if you didn't talk, well, you know what, Xander, there's a lot of things about you that will work better for me. And one of them is if you would stop saying shit like this to the girl that you're making out with, who's on the down low, your girlfriend at this point. And Cordelia does shoot back at him. It would work a lot better for me with the lights off. <laughs> so good. Xander asks, is it because you can't look at me when we make out? And Cordy says, it's more like I don't want to. At least she's honest. <laughs> she's being honest. And honestly, like, she, ooh, that's why like he, his insult of her like that was unprompted. They were making out. All she said was we should get to class, right? Yeah. So they both agree that they're kind of repulsed by each other and they're hiding what they're doing from their friends. So it's not doing uh, anything for poor Xander's self-esteem. So they both agree that they're not going to do this anymore and they go to leave. And then, of course, they keep making out. So what I'm taking away from this is that the hate part of Xander and Cordy's love-hate relationship is still very much alive. Yes, uh, that's exactly right. Sex. S-E-X. That's what we're talking about in class today, which I assume is health class. But that's also more or less what this episode is going to be dancing around, right? <sighs> oh, yes, yes. Every teenage show needs an episode like, like this Like, I want to say that this teacher is a bad sex ed teacher, but I'm also very much aware that he was probably about what most American teenagers received for sex ed at yeah. this time and perhaps even now in 2021. And for those of you listening to us from the South, perhaps this is even more than you learned in sex ed or even know right now. And so cover your ears if you don't want to hear more. But, um, <laughs> you know, I know I know that the state of sex ed in the States uh, is abysmal. And yeah, I just all I wanted to do while I was watching this scene is just mock it so hard because it is everything that is wrong with sex ed well let's be very clear listeners if you have sex you will get pregnant and die that's essentially what this teacher that's is talking what i about. learned from <laughs> uh the coach and mean girls which was my sex ed 
Yeah. And this teacher is more or less going along these lines. He's saying that the sex drive in human animals is intense. How many of us have lost countless productive hours plagued by unwanted sexual thoughts and feelings? Of course, Xander raises his hand. And the teacher goes on to say that teenagers are more overwhelmed with this. Hormones surging through their bodies, compelling you to action. It's difficult to remember there are negative consequences to sex and willow they cut to willow during this and she's so awkward like she looks yeah. terrified <laughs> poor willow i know and the teacher um asks about consequences like what are the consequences of sex and of course cordelia starts talking about this experience not her she says it's her friend uh but she was in a car with a guy and one thing led to another and they kicked the gear shift something like that and what i find interesting about this little story from cordelia is i assume that she is talking about herself and mm -hmm. having sex with like someone else in a car probably mitch probably a mitch right but not xander no that's what i think she's referring to it's not clear but the fact that xander feels a need to push back after she says this and insult her right away even though the class doesn't know he's talking about cordelia just like it's unclear that cordelia is talking to xander but immediately xander puts up his hand and says if a girl doesn't floss the bloom is off the rose basically saying cordelia has bad breath so yeah. I, I assume that cordelia is talking about sex in a car with a different guy and xander felt the need to punish her for that for saying that out loud and degrade her even though xander you're the next guy in line at the moment who could potentially be having sex with cordelia in a car so it seems weird that he's insulting her like this. Okay, but I think that's coming from his insecurity. I think deep down he worries he's not good enough to have sex in a car with Cordy. Well, he's not. <laughs> well, no, you and I both know this and he knows this deep down. And so his yeah. rude sense of humor is his, it's, he's deflecting, right? This is his defense mechanism. We've kind of talked about this before. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. why like I, I do, I don't like Xander's behavior in this scene, but I think it is less problematic than a lot of the other behavior we've seen from him because it is rooted more in his insecurities as a teenage boy than in like the structural misogyny of our society if that makes any sense yes that does yeah and of course like cordy jumps in after this and makes fun of him for his hoover technique of kissing is what she says and xander then says oh and then i have to pretend i'm interested in your vapid chit chat just to get some touch is what he says. <laughs> so yeah, it's like you're saying, this is all coming from his insecurity. And obviously Cordelia is just fighting back because that's what Cordelia does. Okay, but I also think Cordelia is insecure because mm -hmm. she is experiencing this attraction to Xander. And he is the lowest of the low in the <laughs> high school hierarchy. Yes. So what does it mean that she can't stop herself from making out with high school scum like Xander. So that's what interests me about this scene is mm -hmm. it's not Xander bullying Cordy relentlessly. It's the two of them having basically a couple's, a lover's spat, if you will, in front of everybody else. <laughs> and that's what makes it so funny, right? Especially with Willow there is that dramatic irony of nobody else knows yeah. that they're secretly making out. But... I'm assuming that nobody will know after this because they're all asleep because it's in the middle of a high school class. But if they had done this anywhere else with people paying attention, I think everybody would know at this point. Yeah, yeah. And I do want to say like it is to us as the watcher, this is so obvious that when they're fighting <laughs> like this, it's like because you guys are like hooking up and everyone can tell. And Willow's watching this exchange 
kind of alarmed. And we know that Willow's cluing into this anyway a few episodes ago. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I do agree with you that it's entertaining to watch. And I said this in the last episode. When Xander and Cordy are together, I'm not hating this dynamic. I think it's actually quite fun. And it, we know that Cordelia is comic relief. We know that Xander has the potential to be comic relief when he has funny lines. So having them spew this uh, love spat, as you said, at each other, I think is is fun to watch. I just cannot shake the problematic nature of Xander's <laughs> comment sometimes. So, oh yeah, it's always going to be there. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Willow finally jumps in and says, "Unwanted pregnancy. That's a consequence." of sex yeah willow really like brings the lesson back on track she's that student (laughs) that every teacher wants who's like giving you the answer you're secretly looking for when you ask a question right and you're like thank you thank you miss rosenberg now we can carry on with my you know this is probably abstinence only sex ed or something right 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 every teacher's dream so this is when the teacher presents the students with bad eggs <laughs> but at this point they don't know they're bad and they're supposed to raise them as children i'm assuming that i don't know if this is still a standard practice in high school i, yeah, I mean i don't I, know we never had to do it right like this seems I've seen this in other American media, mm-hmm. and I've never really been sure. So, listeners, if any of you had to do this in high school, please let us know, because I would be really curious to know your experiences. Yeah. I've seen it in other TV shows or movies or books or comic books or something. Like, I've seen, like, sacks of flour being mm-hmm. used for this sometimes. I don't know if I've seen eggs before, but it just seems like a really weird exercise, because... Having to keep an egg intact for however long you need to do this for doesn't really teach you anything about parenting. No. Right? Like, it doesn't teach you the skills of feeding and changing diapers, like the practical stuff. And it really doesn't teach you anything about the emotional side of parenting. Um, but And I, I understand that this is not a parenting class. This is a teen health class. And again, he's trying to scare you off having sex, you know, but... Having a baby is nothing like carrying an egg around. And (laughs) I don't know. I just, I I don't know where this came from, if this is a real thing or if it's just this apocryphal thing that's only in TV, but it's very bizarre to me. The first time I ever saw this was in an Archie comic from like the 60s. Yes. They were all doing this. Yeah, I think comics. I think you're right. That's where I saw it too. That's where I first saw it. But um, I know nowadays, and even when I was in high school, when some people had to do it, I don't know, like whoever was in the special class that I wasn't in, they got like uh, computerized babies. They had like chips in them. Oh, that's just creepy. And Well, it is creepy. And they would cry anytime. They didn't have an off switch apparently. So you could only make them stop crying is by rocking them or feeding them or whatever it is that they needed. So that's what they use now. I I, I would have hacked mine. (laughs) i would have i don't know what i would have done but um it makes more sense than an egg that's for sure so if you notice when the teacher says pair up willow reaches for xander but xander ignores her completely and goes toward cordelia but cordelia sees him coming and asks the guy directly next to her want to have a baby (laughs) and it's so funny uh but xander then instead of going to willow asks a random girl instead and says, you know, like, hey, can I be your baby daddy or something like that? What about Willow, Xander? Is Willow not good enough to make Cordelia jealous? Is like Little things like this, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I also want to point out that after this scene, the other parent is never brought up again. 
Willow and Xander are always the ones who have their eggs on them. It's like nobody ever mentions, oh, I got to give my egg to my (laughs) partner, right? Yeah. So there's number two. Why have the partner rule at all in this episode? Because, Steph, single parenthood is bad. Oh, right. Okay. For the the next scene, of course. So (laughs) Buffy's in the library. Willow and Xander arrive and meet her, and they ask her why she wasn't in class, and she just has vampire issues. But Willow is a good friend and brought her her egg. And Xander says, uh, basically, we got to take care of these eggs. The egg is a baby. Sex leads to responsibility. Keep it safe and teach it Christian values. And Willow says her egg is just... Jewish. So I love this little shout out to Willow being Jewish because it it's kind of just been very subtle in the show up until this point. And I like the way she just slips it in there, right? Like no big deal. Yep. And I also I like the way Xander presents the the assignment. You know, he's kind of mocking it. And mm-hmm. I think it de- as I just said, I think it deserves that level of mockery. So again, I'm kind of giving Xander some credit here of like, yeah, like call it out when you see it, Xander. This is not a good assignment. Buffy, she's like, oh my God, I can't take care of things. I killed my Gigapet. And I was like, Gigapet? <laughs> Uh, yeah. I had a Tamagotchi. I don't, I don't think I had a Gigapet. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting reference. And so for the benefit of our listeners who were born after the show was finished, um, Gigapets and Tamagotchis are, were these little handheld devices that could fit in the palm of your hand. And they had like a little pixelated animated character on a black and white screen. Uh, and you would basically have to feed it by like shaking it and stuff throughout <laughs> yeah. the day. And it would make noises if you didn't. And if you didn't feed it, it would die and like permanently deactivate and it would be terrible. And it pooed itself. Um, yeah, it, it did bodily functions. And there were like these tiny little mini games that you would you would play with it when you could. Yeah. Um, and my memory is I don't think I ever had one. Mm-hmm. I do remember pogs pokemon cards yeah you know so the schools were banning them because you know kids would bring them and be like i have to feed my tamagotchi um they were it's fun such, it's yeah it's so interesting you know what our generation had to sort of put up with stuff right because nowadays tamagotchis would never take off because most kids are either old enough to have a phone and have the internet their fingertips and all these apps mm-hmm. or they're young enough that they wouldn't I don't think they'd really be obsessed with that anymore, right? Like they'd be unimpressed by how simplistic it is. I will say in 2015, I downloaded the Tamagotchi app and I had a Tamagotchi for a couple weeks. It was annoying. It was a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be at work and it would be like, beep, 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 feed me. And and then I had to play with it. So like, I mean, I learned the responsibility of parenthood in 2015, (laughs) just very briefly. I'm glad. But yeah, anyone can download This reminds me of, neopets i don't Mm, know if you ever did i never did but i know of it yeah you had to feed like neopets was the first online community i think i joined way back in 2004 (laughs) and you know you had to feed your neopet and take care of it and then one day trade it away to somebody else because you were a terrible (laughs) person and it was i don't know were we enslaving neopets perhaps there's a moral there's a moral gray area there that other neo neopians can talk to me about, I'm sure. <laughs> all I'm hearing is that you're we're ready for parenthood. That's all I'm hearing. Absolutely. Wanna have a baby? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Buffy uh learns that she's gonna be a single mom in this egg experiment. And like you said earlier, this is the worst news in the world. Like this is She's doomed to lead her mother's life, she says. How scary is that? And I was like, Buffy, that's a cheap shot, all right? Like, I know Joyce is hot and cold, 
and she may not listen to you and be negligent sometimes <laughs> emotionally, but uh, aren't all boomers? Like, I mean, I feel like <laughs> Joyce <laughs> Joyce is doing her best, okay? And she's a, she is a single mom, but she's got a kick-ass job that she's rocking. She doesn't yell at you. <laughs> and like, you have food on the table. Like, you've got a pretty good life. So I don't know why yeah. single motherhood's so terrible to you. Okay, but again, maybe this is Buffy's insecurities about being a bad daughter, right? Mm -hmm. And she's thinking like, I am a bad daughter, you know, I'm disappointing my mom. My slayer duties make it hard for me to be good at school. And so I feel bad about that. And it's like, now she's putting herself in her mom's shoes. And she's like, oh my God, like being a single mom must suck if you have a daughter like me. That's fair. That's very fair. That's when Giles comes out of the cage and he says he's found the vampire, the cowboy vampire. Uh, his name's Lyle Gorch and he has a brother named Tector. <laughs> this is so <laughs> random. So random. Why are they in this episode? He says that they're from Abilene and they massacred an entire Mexican village in 1886 before they became vampires. And he also says they're not amongst the greatest thinkers of our time. <laughs> And I was like, burn Giles. That's pretty funny. I mean, to be fair, I feel like Giles would probably use that description for anybody who doesn't read books very true. much, right? He'd true, probably true, be true. like, oh, that person isn't among the greatest thinkers of our time, right? Like Giles yeah. looks down on everybody who doesn't read much. <laughs> right, right. So um, when he says that, Xander's like, I propose that Buffy slay them all in favor. And Willow's like, I. <laughs> and it's cute. And Giles does say, you know, you, got, you still got to take them seriously. And Buffy may need help and she has to be vigilant. And Willow suggests because Willow is the greatest wing woman in the world. She I'm says... I suggest that Angel help her find these vampires. And Xander sarcastically says, oh, I'm I see a lot of hunting being done in that scenario. And Buffy says, oh, please, like Angel and I are just helpless slaves to passion. Grow up. Cut to the cemetery. <laughs> Cut to the cemetery. Buffy and Angel are making out. And they make out this whole episode. Basically, David Boreatis was called to set to make out with Sarah Michelle Geller for so, a week. Awesome job. So how many times did you watch this scene? Oh, I mean, like I said, I watched every episode twice, right? I would say six. <laughs> like, Because okay. I would take notes and then I miss it. So I have to go back and watch it again, take more notes. You know, you know how it is. But anyway, they make out. Sure, it's loud. <laughs> like they smack, smack, smack. But I'm into it. I think it's epic. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> so they keep saying they should stop. They should hunt. They walk three steps away. Then they make out again. Little do they know. The Gorches, <laughs> this name, the Gorches are watching them make out from afar, just like Kara and me. Like we were watching them make There's out from whole, afar. There's a whole like voyeur quality to this scene, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're basically commenting on what they're seeing they're like that's the slayer that's angelus so they know who angelus is and uh they don't understand why they're making out but um they agree that they're not going to take her right now clearly lyle is the one that's the thinker here and tector is the one that follows uh they keep saying like they say that they need to keep the slayer alive for something i don't know what they, they said something along those lines like we need to keep the slayer alive and uh, yeah it, it's never quite clear what the plan is <laughs> yeah. like what i got from this scene is lyle just doesn't want to take on buffy and angelus at the same time right Good, he's yeah. afraid even when tector says are you afraid and he says no i could take them both which 
is not true. Um, <laughs> massively overestimating your abilities here, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, he's like, no, I can take them both. I just don't want to, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're just, we're just supposed to laugh. Like, these villains in this episode are straight up comic relief. And yeah, and well, again, they're, they're not really the bad guys, right? Like, the bad guy is the bizarre that we encounter later on. I, these guys are a diversion, if anything. Um, but why? I, like, why are they in here? It's so weird. That's a good question. And, and it is probably one of the legitimate points of criticism of this episode is yeah. there are things about the episode that don't quite gel. Um, so I don't really have a, an answer for you, Steph. I just, I I think it's funny. I enjoy them, even if they don't make sense. Don't get don't get me wrong. I think they're pretty funny and there's some good scenes with them coming up. But like that, I was, yeah. I, the whole time I was like, what? so what are you, why? Why are you guys here? Uh, so anyway, they just watch them make out uh, for the rest of the night, I assume. And then in her room before bed, Buffy is doing her checklist of all the things that she have, you have to do with a baby before they go to bed, like change their diapers, make sure they're fed, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? How are they monitoring you? They don't know. You could do that five minutes before class. <laughs> so easy. So at 2.03 a.m., that's what the clock said, uh, a little hole in the egg opens up and a long, wormy tentacle, pink, blue tentacle thing comes out and moves toward Buffy as she sleeps and it covers her face and her neck, like almost like it's going into her eye sockets and her nose. You mean this doesn't happen to everybody every night? I mean, to be honest, this did happen to me once. <laughs> uh, not in this sense, but like when I lived in my basement loft apartment, just like Angel, I went to bed with a water cup next to me. And when I woke up, there was like, I swear to God, it was like the size of my hand, like a giant water bug inside that cup. And I was like, were you on my face while I was sleeping? Was this bad eggs, right? So this thing happens in real life, everyone. So just don't go to sleep, ever. <laughs> At the same time this is happening, I'm assuming the Gorches, once again, we're going back to these guys. The Gorches are chilling in a sewer and Tector wants to stay at a hotel, but Lyle knows they have to keep a low profile until they take care of the Slayer. Again, unclear. Did they come to town looking for Buffy? I don't know. Well... Yeah, it, it is unclear. Um, maybe they just came, like Giles said, because the Hellmouth has this psychic energy sign that says, evil come here. Mm -hmm. I will say, I enjoy how they have different colored hats. Right? <laughs> Lyle has a white hat and Tector has a black hat. So you kind of you know which is which. Right. I appreciate that. Because <laughs> I can't really, nice. really tell them apart other than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically... I don't know. Like, they're just kind of talking about what life is like. Tector says that there's no decent whore in within the whole city limits. It's like, okay, what is this conversation? Uh, Lyle stands up and starts giving a backstory about these vampires. Like, we give a shit, you know? He's like, I raised you by myself when they were humans. And their plan is to just follow the Slayer around and wait for a good opportunity to take her. And Tector thinks that he's being afraid, that he's afraid of the Slayer, and it's just toxic masculinity, and then they start beating each other up. They just start beating yeah. each other up. <laughs> so I, I think the point of this scene really is to establish their character a bit more, and because they come from the late 19th century, from the frontier, the Wild West, if you will, uh, they do have that extremely macho, toxic masculine presence where they talk about things like whoring because that's how you establish your strength and your masculinity in that particular era and area so it kind of falls apart in the sense of like what happens later on in, in the episode I, I think 
they spend more time setting these characters up than they need to for mm-hmm. what happens later. I don't know. These guys will forever be a question mark to me. It's like, what am I watching? So in the morning, Buffy wakes up and her egg is fully intact, but she is very sluggish. She goes to the kitchen, drinks her mom's coffee, and her and Joyce share a cute scene together. Joyce is asking Buffy how the parenting is going with the egg, and Buffy does admit that she's feeling funky, that she didn't sleep well, and Joyce makes a joke that the egg kept her up all night, and Buffy says, uh, parenting is pain. And Joyce says, wait till it starts dating. <laughs> so, oh. Interesting. So, I like it when Joyce throws a little shade. Yeah. Well, I like when they have a nice, healthy seeming conversation, you know, yeah. like it's nice and lighthearted. So Giles is putting books away in the library and the Scoobies are there. Willow and Buffy are looking tired, but Xander seems fine. They say that health class has been canceled because Mr. Whitmore is out. So Buffy says that she didn't see the Gorches the night before, and she said it like very slow and sluggish-like because she's tired, because that thing was sucking her face off all night. <laughs> and not Angel, the egg. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, so, like, that's not the thing you wanted to see sucking <laughs> Buffy's face. Uh, so <laughs> Xander, Xander asks, are you tired because you made out with Angel all night? Giles asks her if she's all right and Willow she's like maybe it's something we ate and Xander suggests that it's the burden of parenthood and they take it too seriously and then he starts bragging about how he's a chill parent and he doesn't take it seriously and that's why he's feeling good and he's tossing his egg around while he's doing this and even Giles is watching him toss his egg around like really nervously then of course inevitably Xander drops the egg but it does not break and it's because Xander admits that he boiled it so he basically is cheating and uh while Giles is putting books away we see that there's an egg on the bookshelf moving around (laughs) this episode is wild so Willow says that he should be ashamed but Giles does say like there's a Machiavellian ingenuity to it (laughs) and Xander doesn't know if that's a compliment or an insult that's when Cordelia comes in and says that something major is happening at Sunnydale High. And Xander does say, oh, Barrett Appreciation Day or something like that. Made me laugh. And uh, she says that Mr. Whitmore didn't show for class. He's missing, presumed dead. Dial says that, you know, we should give him a few hours before we give up on him completely. And Cordelia is basically saying that we should all go look for him. His body could fall out of a closet somewhere, right, Xander? <laughs> like, we should go look at all the closets for him. And Xander catches on. They leave to presumably go make out in the closet. And Willow does notice this, again, because Willow's pretty observant. But I also think that they're just being so obvious. Like, I just feel like they're, like, on pata levels of obvious here. <laughs> yes, but, you know, the rest of the Scoobies are the least observant evil fighters on the planet so (laughs) nobody else noticed impata was the mummy i'm just saying i just um okay so a couple a couple of things to like about this scene yes i enjoyed xander cheating because again i am right there with him it's a silly assignment so why not like this is showing xander's got some smarts to him right like he he's always looking for that different angle so i liked that I also think Cordelia's concern for Mr. Whitmore is touching and entirely reasonable considering the history of deaths in on Sunnydale High property. Did you catch the callback to Dr. Gregory? Yep. So I liked that, how she's mm-hmm. like, oh, he could fall out of a closet. And yes, that was a, a, a sign for Xander, but it was also like, 
that's how Cordelia accidentally found Dr. Gregory's body. And <laughs> she's still carrying her trauma from that. I was going right? to say, I like how she's expressing her trauma by being like, we could find another one in a closet somewhere. <laughs> oh dear (laughs) but yeah uh yeah you're right it's a a good scene overall for every character and after they leave buffy does say hey should i feel guilty for not being worried about mr mr whitmore and giles says you should save your strength to fight the gorgeous (laughs) and buffy says she'll patrol again tonight and willow says angel will help you and she says he does what he can more making out in the cemetery what a treat for staff (laughs) Angel's saying they should stop. Buffy's like, yeah, we should kill bad guys. Angel's like, you should go home. But then they just keep making out. Angel says that he'll look for the gorches on his own. Buffy says she has to go home anyway and fill out her egg diary. As if she's planning to have kids anytime soon. Maybe someday in the future when she's done having a life. But kids are a little too much to deal with. And Angel says, well, I can't. I can't really have kids. Like, it's not, not a worry of mine because I can't have any. And Buffy says, oh, well, you know, that's okay. She figured that there's a lot of things that vampires can't do and making little vampires is one of them. And this is such an interesting conversation because Angel is asking her, don't you ever think about the future? And mm-hmm. Buffy says no. And she keeps saying no to his questions. And then Angel says, like, don't you care what happens five years from now? And Buffy says... When I look into the future, all I see is you. All I want is you. And Angel says he knows the feeling and they kiss some more. Yeah, okay. But when he says, I can't have kids, and she responds by saying, oh, you know, there's all sorts of things vampires can't do. And she just kind of makes a joke out of it. Yeah. That seemed very defensive as if she's just coming up with that line right now. And it had never really occurred to her. Mm-hmm. that angel can't father children so i think like what we're seeing in this scene is buffy grappling with the fact that a she doesn't want to think about the future because as we've established many times over the past season and a half slayers die young mm-hmm. and as far as buffy knows her time on this earth is quite limited so as far as she's concerned like she may not be around long enough to have a family. On the other hand, right, she is very into Angel, or at least that's the vibe I'm picking up from this episode, Steph. I could be <laughs> totally off. I think um, you're right. <laughs> she's very into Angel, and there's probably a, a part of her that is fantasizing about a future with Angel and, and perhaps conveniently leaving out the vampire aspect of him and that part of her mind perhaps is envisioning a family which angel can't give her i mean just to be clear listeners right like there's nothing wrong with found family chosen family like they could adopt right there's nothing wrong with adoption i think our society places far too much uh weight on making children of your own Mm -hmm. um but it's just it's interesting to me because this scene is really revealing how buffy is scared of her future. Yeah, that's a really good reading on this. I also think it's a really excellent portrayal of your first relationship mood. You know, 16 Mm. years old, she's in love. She's already said that she loves him. And now they're like actually together and they're getting hot and heavy. So the hormones (laughs) plus the feeling of being in love when you're 16, it's overwhelming and it's muddling up her brain. So of course she's like, all I see is you. I cannot even picture not being with you, whether it's with kids or without kids or five years down the road tomorrow, 
All I think about is very you. romantic. It's super romantic. I just I just realized, Steph, you know, with Whitmore and sex ed teachers going on about how teenage sex gets you pregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, dating a vampire is probably like a really good form of contraception. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that too, actually, while we were talking about this. I was like, you know what? Angel might just be the safest guy to have sex with in Sunnydale. Because Angel's telling her, hey, baby, I cannot get you pregnant. So maybe that's what he meant when he said that. He's like, let's escalate things because (laughs) there's no strings attached here. You're not going to walk away from this with any regrets. Right. Like, and I'm not going to be your baby daddy because I can't make little (laughs) vampires. Like you're saying, I I personally don't think Angel was (laughs) insinuating that they should have sex right now. I do think, though, that um, the episode is setting this up. This is what I mean when this is a setup episode. Things are escalating in Buffy and Angel's relationship. The fact that they can't not touch each other this entire episode, things are leading toward a much more physical relationship. The fact that they're talking about the future and they both are really into each other. This is a natural escalation for a normal relationship. And I don't think it's a coincidence, and I I think it's very subtle symbolism, maybe not even that subtle. This is symbolism. When they're making out, the camera pans to a tombstone that says, in living memory. So I feel like this might seem like a very small conversation and a small scene just to show that Buffy and Angel, just to show them making out some more. But things are escalating. They're really, really in love with each other. Something's going to happen very soon for these two. I agree with you. Yay! (laughs) So we're at Sunnydale High. It's nighttime. And what am I seeing? There is a security guard at Sunnydale High at night. Since when? Since when? Yes, I wrote down the exact same thing in my notes. I'm like, my high school never had a security guard, right? And this is our first time. We've been to Sunnydale High at nighttime before. And we've never seen a security guard. So my theory, Steph, is that this is like a new security measure implemented by Snyder. His first day, the security guard, poor guy. <laughs> or at some, yeah, like he's just like, you know what? We've had too many shenanigans going on. I am going to get some security here at nighttime to make sure people aren't breaking into the building and stuff, which is great. That's that's great, except you forgot that the building is on top of a hellmouth. Things don't have to break into the building. You might want to worry about things breaking up from below. <laughs> so true and think about the last three weeks uh that dead philip guy was found on campus there was a school shooting like there are lots of things going on so security makes sense uh so anyway he notices that the the basement door is open and of course he goes down there great we know only good things happen in the basement at sunnydale mind you we haven't been to the locker room in a very long time i'm just assuming that's because they've just like taped it off they're just like (laughs) nobody goes to the locker room anymore They finally just taped it off. So the security guard is down there investigating, uh, does the whole anybody in here thing. And he notices a giant hole, like a massive hole is in the wall of the basement leading into the sewers. Right. So when did somebody make this hole? Because if you did it during the day, I'm assuming people would hear. Mm -hmm. And if you did it at night, I'm assuming this security guard would have heard, right? Or is it far enough away that nobody would hear on the first floor i don't know but it just it seems to me like the hole itself the existence of the hole is problematic there's so many things in this episode that don't make any sense although maybe if they don't make sense it's more that they're not explained so you're right where did this hole come from who made it 
Coming up behind the security guard is Mr. Whitmore, who hits him over the head with a pickaxe. And I've never seen so many pickaxes as I have in this episode before. Uh, (laughs) And pushes him into the hole. So Buffy is crawling through her bedroom window and notices that her egg is moving on her desk. So she gets really close to it. And then a gross alien parasite spider looking thing pops out at her and runs under her bed well it kind of like scuttles right that's (laughs) what's so creepy about it (laughs) yeah it's like like crab scuttling i do like the look of this thing i don't know what to call it like a spider uh it's got very alien x-files kind of situation going on here which i like about this episode i will say i think it's refreshing buffy grabs an iron and stalks it for a bit it does jump on her at one point and it scurries away again And she grabs a pair of scissors and waits. And then finally it crawls up the wall behind her. She hears it and she stabs it. So badass. Yeah, it was really cool. And then she immediately calls Willow and asks Willow if she's okay. And is her egg doing anything? Uh, She tells Willow that her egg hatched and a creepy crawly thing attacked her. And Willow says hers is normal. She put it in the fridge. Maybe the Gorch brothers planted it for her. And Buffy's like, yeah, yeah, maybe. Okay, yeah, okay. Sorry for waking you up. And they hang up. But as... Willow hangs up. We see that Willow's egg is at her bedside table and it has hatched. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, Yeah, she like has this flat affect. Like there's no emotion there anymore. So as Buffy hangs up, her mother comes into her room and it's 2.45 a.m. we see on the clock. And Joyce notices that Buffy is dressed and is like freaking out. She's like, where do you think you're going? Who are you talking to on the phone? And she she's like, you are grounded for the rest of your natural life. And then I, we can only assume that Joyce lectured her for the rest of the morning because the <laughs> conversation continues in the car on the way to school in the next scene. Basically, Joyce is saying no after school socializing, no bronze, no nothing, not until she says so. School ends at 2.30. You go to the library and you study until 5.30 when I will come pick you up. And again, Joyce isn't yelling. She's just being very stern mm-hmm. with this. And a part of me is kind of like, okay, Joyce, chill out. Like, you didn't actually catch her sneaking out. You just caught her dressed, right, in her room. Yeah, this is end. what I meant about the hot and cold parenting and the way that she comes down hard on Buffy. Like, there's no half measures here. It's like, <laughs> you are now grounded indefinitely, and you have to spend three hours studying in the library every single day. Like... I am a nerd and I enjoyed school and that would have been too much for me. Um, And and it's not a particularly creative punishment, right? It's a boring punishment. It's boring and it doesn't go to the root of the issue, right? Of like, why was Buffy dressed? You never asked. You never asked her, were you sneaking out? Why were you sneaking out? Was it a boy? Like, Joyce doesn't seem that particularly interested in understanding if necessary adjusting buffy's behavior she's just like i'm gonna punish you like yeah that's not great it's not a good look for you joyce i do want to get into joyce's headspace a bit here because let's not forget that in the last episode she had a boyfriend who was going to kidnap her and was a serial killer so there's one hand where she could be dealing with the trauma of that still and the fact that her daughter despite what happened with the boyfriend and what he actually was her daughter did almost kill him and get arrested for that so there was a lot of that mixed in with the trauma of dealing with ted and then i want to go as far back as before the pilot buffy was expelled 
from her school in LA and they had to up and leave their life there and come to mm-hmm. Sunnydale. So a part of me does understand why Joyce is trying to be herself, which I think is a very laid back, chilled out kind of mom. But Buffy, she just sees Buffy as a kid who's getting into trouble. So when she catches mm-hmm. her trying to sneak out in the middle of the night and she thinks she's lying. And I I think I understand why she thinks that and why she feels like she can't trust Buffy or that Buffy's going to slip and slide back into this delinquent life and then they'll have to uproot their lives again. In that regard, yeah. I do feel her. That, that's a very good way of framing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But on, on doesn't mean I approve. <laughs> like, as in I no, think this punishment. That, I, that's where I'm coming from, right? Is it's like, I don't think that Joyce's reaction is actually going to elicit the response she wants, which is, Buffy to turn things around and become this amazing daughter, right? It's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, for that to happen, you actually have to communicate instead yeah, of just punish. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the issue here, Joyce, is not how boring you can make Buffy's life. The issue is that you're not talking to each other and you're not communicating. So when Buffy gets out of the car, she sees Cordelia, who's wearing a teddy bear backpack. And for whatever reason, Cordelia needs to defend why she's wearing the backpack. She's like, it was a trend that I started years ago and I'm bringing it back or something. Yeah, that was very <laughs> odd to me. I'm just yeah. like, what? why? Why is this in here? The egg is in the backpack, but it could have been any backpack. Right. So why did they yeah. make it a teddy bear? I mean, Other- it's cute. I would like a teddy bear backpack to be perfectly honest or even like i mean later the egg tentacles poke out of the bear eyes so maybe they just wanted they just wanted that effect i don't know but anyway she she talks about that and buffy's like shut up about that i don't care she asks her about the egg Uh, buffy says uh is your egg acting weird and cordy says it's an egg buffy it's not acting like anything eggs don't emote (laughs) but okay but then oh my god oh my god this is this is an okay. This is my third. What the hell is this doing in this episode? What is going on? Yeah. Cordelia spots a black student walking by her, and she says, "Shanice, is that your real hair?" And then she goes up to her, and and it's like a throwaway comment, and just to get Cordelia out of the shot for a little bit. And I was like. What am I watching? Why did that happen? And I understand that like Cordelia, we we give Cordelia a lot of slack because we think she's hilarious and she's a great character, but she can be insensitive, of course. But this isn't even insensitive. This is next level racism. Yeah. And and the fact that they treat it like it's just a throwaway comment just to get Cordelia out of the way for a second. It's so inappropriate. And I don't know why it's in this episode at all. Well, it's in the episode to, to answer your rhetorical question it's in the episode staff because there were no black people in the writer's room and this is the problem when your writer's room is entirely white uh and almost entirely male right like when we talk about representation we don't just mean we need representation on screen i say we just to be clear obviously i'm white i'm not black but as a person who does have marginalized identities right like we need representation behind the screen as well we need black people we need queer people we need you know asian people like in the writer's rooms because that's how you're going to get somebody saying hey that's not right if there had been a single black person in the room they would have vetoed that joke i mean maybe somebody else would have overridden them you know maybe there was a black person in that room i don't know i wasn't there but my point right is this kind of racist shit 
makes it to our TV screens because somewhere along the way, a bunch of people, usually white people, sign off on it because they have not spent the time to educate themselves. So yes, it is ignorance, but that ignorance is not an excuse because you you cannot live in our society mm-hmm. and benefit from white supremacy and not start to educate yourself, right? Like anybody, obviously this episode is almost 20 years old. So I don't, I don't even like saying that things were different back then though, because there, there's still no excuse. Like for a show that is trying to be progressive, right? Yeah. It is so bad at issues of race. We saw that in the past, the two-parter, We've got, we're going to have a few hot stakes at the end of this episode talking about Kendra. And it's just like, there is no excusing Buffy the Vampire Slayer for how it handles race. Yeah, for this very casual dismissal of a very racist statement. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So moving on, Xander and Willow meet up with Buffy. Xander is eating some sort of protein bar and he doesn't like it. So he decides to eat his hard boiled egg. Willow is asking Buffy about the hatchling activity. And Buffy says everyone else's egg is normal. So she doesn't know what's going on. And she brought it to show Giles and Willow suggests that they all meet in the science lab. And as they're walking, we get a shot of uh, Willow's back and we see that this parasite is attached to her tramp stamp area like your lower i was back. about to say it's like a living tramp stamp <laughs> you and i same page staff same page i love it yes so um that's when xander realizes that the egg that he's about to bite into is one of those gross pinky purple i love things. his reaction too because he it, it's almost a scream but obviously he's too masculine for that but it's just like he visibly recoils and he like looks around to see if there's anybody else who's seeing what he's seeing yes it's a good one and i really like this reaction in the science lab so they have buffy's the one that she killed the night before lying on the dissection table and then xander's egg beside it and xander goes can i just say ugh? and buffy says i see your ugh, and i raise you a or whatever and it's so funny and willow and cordy are with them and willow says giles is on his way lies (laughs) lies and um buffy and xander arguing over who gets to dissect it because xander says his gross out quota for the decade is filled and i do not forget xander that last week you found a closet full of dead bodies (laughs) in a basement so i would hope that your gross out quota is filled for the rest of your life. That's terrible. Basically, that's when we see the creatures coming out of Cordy's teddy bear as -hmm. well. So I'm assuming that Cordelia gets taken by this thing now in in the science lab. And they're basically talking about what happened to Mr. Whitmore and they guess that nothing good given that this is happening. And Will says, well, it's possible that Mr. Whitmore wasn't harmed. Maybe the offspring simply used him to return to the mother bizarre. <laughs> just the way she says it, like, Alison Hattigan, I just... But your performance is just so good. Great job. And this is... And also, like, Nicholas Brandon, right after that, he says, yeah, maybe. What? Because <laughs> he's just like, what did you just say? And that's when Cordelia hits Buffy over the head with a ruler stick, 
uh, stick? I don't know what it was. I don't remember. And Willow hits Xander over the head with something else too, like a microscope or something. And that could do serious damage. Like, I that could kill Xander. Well, he jokes when he wakes up, right? He's yeah. like, I'm gonna, Buffy's like, I'm gonna have a bump. He's like, I'm gonna have a peninsula. And it's like, no, you're both gonna have concussions. <laughs> and once again, this show is not taking head trauma as seriously as it should. This cracked skull that Xander would be experiencing right now is severe. But Buffy, my thing about Buffy with Cordelia hitting Buffy is that Buffy gets tossed around by demons all the time. I don't see how this would knock her out, but it's convenient for the plot. So we're just going to go with it. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's the thing about TV shows, right? Is it's always easier to knock somebody out on TV, especially with like one punch. Yes. In real life, it is incredibly difficult to punch somebody unconscious. Like I can only imagine that Cordy hitting Buffy with a stick would feel like me flicking you in the arm. Like, like, I can't imagine it would hurt her that much, but whatever. Cordy and Willow drag Xander into the closet, and then two other students drag Buffy into the closet, and they all go to the school's basement, utility shed. I don't know what it is, but all these pickaxes are hanging out there, <laughs> and they all take one. There's a lot of them, by the way. There's like... I don't know, 10 people now, including well, teachers. Remember, this is pre-Minecraft, so they had to learn about mining the old-fashioned way. <laughs> yeah, and they go into um, the basement with the whole giant hole. So at what I assume is 5.30 p.m., Joyce enters the library looking for Buffy, who I assume has been knocked out all day. Her and Xander. It's not good. <laughs> she needs to be checked by a doctor. Like, that was, like, what, 9.30 in the morning? Not even. It was, like, 8.30 in the morning. They've been out all day. This is... Okay, this episode's starting to get wild. <laughs> Joyce is upset that Buffy's not in the library, and Giles is there, and, you know, Joyce is like, this is the last straw. She never means to, but she manages to anyway. She asks Giles if he has children. He says no, but he feels like he does because he works at school. <laughs> and uh, Joyce says something that's a little harsh, I think. Uh, she says she doesn't want to say that children are burdens, but they are burdens. And I'm not a mom, so I don't know if that's true or not. Raising children must be one of the most difficult things. But to call one a burden, I don't know. I feel like that's really heavy. Okay, well, let's again, let's invite our listeners. Any listeners out there who are parents... We we have been trying to kind of understand things from Joyce's point of view throughout this episode. So let us know how we're doing. Like, do you have any particular reading of what Joyce is going through? Does it relate to your experiences? Or are you kind of like, no, 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 Joyce is way off base here. I, I would love to know. Yeah, same. And uh, do you think that Joyce prefers smoking weed or eating edibles <laughs> out of the two? <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? Is She is annoyed right now because she could be at home after a long, grueling day at work, token up or whatever yeah. it is the kids say Mellowing these days. Mellowing out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And no, she has to pick up her delinquent daughter <sighs> and, you know, probably lecture her for at least 10 minutes before sending her to her room. And then she can finally light up. Seriously. And actually, to be honest, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who is a parent and they do say it's at the end of the day when all you want to do after a long day of work yeah. is rest and your kid acts up and that's when you get enraged because you're like this is my time for mellowness and i don't get it till 10 p.m you know <laughs> so anyway let us know listeners let us know so uh long story short giles <laughs> manages to get joyce to turn around and puts a creature on joyce's back it's so creepy it's so gross so we're like whoa Giles was infected this whole time. 
So Giles, Joyce, and a bunch of other students head down to the basement. And Buffy and Xander, like I said, are coming to in the closet after a good eight hours of being knocked out. (laughs) And Xander says that the last time Cordy dragged me in here, it was a lot nicer. <laughs> like, like Xander, I, I shut like up. this, and this is this is the scene that really kind of made me appreciate how Xander's acting in this episode. Because, as we've mentioned in the past, it seems like Xander's newfound uh, obsession with making out with Cordy is perhaps distracting him from his older obsession with Buffy for the better. Mm-hmm. And we see that in this scene because season one Xander. This would be his pervy dream, alone with Buffy in a dark closet, right? Like, he would be wetting his pants right now, or... No, that's not the right phrase. What is it? He'd have, like, a boner in his pants. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, How say, do teenage boys work? He would be creaming his pants. <laughs> creaming his pants. There we go. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, right? But he, he he doesn't say anything remotely sexual to Buffy in this scene. And for the rest of the episode... The dynamic between him and Buffy is very similar to when he and Buffy were in the sewers in the the, the pilot, right? Going yeah. after Jesse. Like, it is strictly business. They are working together to fight evil right now. And yes. he is not, yeah, he's not like being suggestive. He's not being creepy towards her. her. And I'm not going to give him cookies for this because that's just how he should be. But it's it's so refreshing. You know, mm-hmm. it, I noticed it compared to previous episodes. I have the same note as you, but later on that this is a callback to the harvest. Like when they're walking yeah. the sewers, the eye is on the prize. Xander's not being a complete jerk. So it's it's yeah. good. So they realize that why wouldn't they kill us? Why would it? Why would they just want us out of the way? That's when they notice that there's two extra eggs on the ground. And I like how quickly Buffy just takes care of this. She just takes a toolbox and smashes the eggs and breaks open the door. So they go to the library and they realize that, oh my god, these two need to do research on their own because Giles isn't there and Willow, who is MVP and super valuable, is out of commission. So they realize they have to look things up in books. (laughs) And conveniently, the book on the desk is open to the page they need. So Giles had already done the work for them. And I guess the parasite that was infecting his brain didn't think to close the book before leaving. So as they look at it, Xander steps on an eggshell and they realize that Giles must also be possessed or under the influence of parasite spirits. (laughs) So in the basement, there are like 20 or 30 people down there pounding uselessly at concrete like they're not really doing anything just like beep 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 with their with their pickaxes and they're moving eggs into crates they're they're taking eggs out of cracks in the ground and putting them in crates and we do get a a a glimpse of this gross brainy is that a good way to describe it brainy pink thing yeah it does kind of like it's very fleshy very wrinkled fleshy and there's something in the middle that kind of looks like a closed eye like you know it's going to open at some point and freak you out yeah 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 yeah. so it's it's weird so buffy's reading from this book and she finds out that the bezoar is a pre prehistoric parasite the mother hibernates underground laying eggs the offspring attach themselves to hosts through neural clamping so Everyone is taking orders from this Mama Bizor, but what does Mama want? <laughs> and that's when they hear Jonathan, remember that little guy from earlier mm-hmm. this season? He's outside screaming because <laughs> he's being attacked. Buffy and Xander go outside to help him, and that's when he's just like, 
I slipped and starts walking <laughs> away. And Buffy says, I think I hear mommy calling. And they follow Jonathan to the basement. Uh, they see that what the people are doing in there and they know that they have to stop the spread of these eggs. Because again, we are not privy to information around why this is happening and what they're doing. Like, what is the plot here? But it appears that they're going to be putting these eggs in crates to crate them off, right? So Xander says he'll handle it uh, as long as Buffy can, like, hold down the fort. And Buffy says she just needs to find a really big weapon. So Buffy goes and Xander pretends to be one of these possessed people and enters uh, the sewers. And I do want to point out that Giles passes xander a giant stone and xander picks it up and throws it aside like it's no big deal that would be so heavy these people are just like tossing these foam stones around like for the guys that's like 70 pounds come on (laughs) hey i mean maybe xander's just ripped under those shirts you don't know (laughs) i mean we did see him in nightmares we saw his body so he he's in shape but not that strong so Buffy's in the basement area looking for weapons. She finds a pipe. That's when the Gorches approach her. I don't know how or why or what they're doing here, how they knew, but they're there. And Buffy's like, guys, it's not a great time. (laughs) And then she starts wailing on them with this pipe. And uh, Buffy kicks Tector to the point where he falls down or something. And Lyle's like, that's my brother. So I think it's just like, it's just weird. This is weird. So... (laughs) The fight moves into the room with the bad eggs and Lyle says, you know, what the hell is this? Like, he's like confused. It's so funny. funny. Like this whole scene is so, I cracked up at this. It's It's funny. The episode itself is messy and and poorly written in many ways, but whoever did this scene, genius. So good. Because this vampire is coming into this situation with no idea that there's this other threat going on and Buffy's trying to deal with it and she's like I don't need this from you (laughs) so they're fighting in the middle of the chamber where everybody else is trying to unentomb the bazaar and then Willow's like kill them (laughs) very creepy voice yeah 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 (laughs) and so like people stop what they're doing and they start coming at Buffy and the Gorch (laughs) And so it's this wonderful scene where Buffy and the Gorch go from fighting each other to almost fighting back to back, which is one of my favorite tropes in fiction when you're fighting like your mortal enemy and then suddenly the two of you have to team up to take on a different enemy. So they're almost fighting back to back because they're fighting everybody else. But then they like switch back to fighting each other really quickly. And then they go back to fighting everybody else. And it's just... It's chaos, and I I always love it when a bad guy shows up, like, late while the hero is in the middle of dealing with a different situation, because it's it, it strikes me as very rude of the episode, right? <laughs> like, Lyle Gorch came here for his big showdown with the Slayer, and he is barely a footnote in her day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he even says, like, when they're fighting there, he says... What the hell is going on? Like, as they're fighting these students and Buffy's like, long story. And then they start fighting each other. Like you said, like, it's, it's a, it's very comedic. It's really funny to watch. And it leaves us there and it follows Xander, who's been following Cordy and this other guy with these crates down the sewers. And this is my next area where I'm like, why is this scene in this episode? And it's because mm. Xander takes out the guy. Uh, pretty easily and Cordy tries to punch him and Xander says he doesn't want to hurt her 
but she hits him on the head where his concussion was. And Xander screams, that's my bump. And he punches Cordelia in the face. And, you know, Xander looks horrified that he punched her in the face, like, fine. But why did he have to punch her at all? What's the point? Yeah. What's the point? Like, you know, we don't see Buffy, as much as these students are attacking Buffy, we see her push Giles out of the way, but she doesn't hit her mother. She doesn't hit Willow. She doesn't hit Giles. Mm. Why does Cordelia get punched? Why did the writers go out of their way to have Xander physically assault her, specifically the woman who he has been getting sexually involved with and who earlier this episode was verbally insulting? I don't understand that yeah, why this I, is here. I don't have a, an answer or a defense for this. This is not a good part of Xander in this episode. They could they could have just had yeah. Xander part of this fight or like smashing eggs or something, you know? So this was unneeded and I didn't care to see it. So again, Buffy and Lyle are, Lyle are still fighting when Tector comes in and he sees the pink eye of that parasite Bizor thing and he goes up to it and he's like, hello. And it reaches out with its tentacles, grabs him and pulls him in and I think eats him, like presumably eats him. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm curious, though, Yawn. can a Bizor eat a vampire or would it just turn into dust? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean... Of all the questions you're asking in this episode, <laughs> Steph, that seems like the most academic. But I, I think the point, right, is this is hilarious. So funny. Again, so like, funny. The Gorchers are supposed to be, you know, if not <laughs> badasses, at least supposed to be fairly threatening vampires. I mean, they've been around for over 100 years, yeah. so that says something. And they show up, and in like a couple of minutes, Tector is dead thanks to getting too close to the pink fleshy thing in the floor like. yeah it's so good okay but this is the, this is the, my favorite line in the entire episode because so lyle is screaming tector tector as him and buffy watch him get eaten and then he looks at buffy and says this is all your fault and buffy's like how <laughs> i know so it's so funny. funny like this is what i mean because <laughs> Yeah, he he has intru he's an interloper yeah. here. She should be fighting the bazaar. Like this is too much. Her dance card is already full. You showed up here, yeah, buddy. Yeah. Buffy did not ask you to come here. She's not like come meet me so we can rumble. Like you're the one who brought this on yourself. Yeah, again, like it's another vampire, just like Spike, who seems to think all their problems are the Slayer. If you had just left her alone, your brother would still be alive. You know. So <laughs> Joyce then tries to. Uh, put a pickaxe in Buffy's face and the Bizor grabs Buffy with its tentacles and pulls her down as well but she manages to grab the pickaxe and this was its mistake because <laughs> the last thing you want to do is grab a slayer by the legs and not restrain her arms and I again I love how they chose to film this scene we don't see anything we just see the pit and all we hear is the foley and it is glorious because we're just hearing Buffy like slashing and hacking and we hear the bazaar recoiling and screaming and stuff. And then suddenly the eye closes. So we're supposed to assume it's dead. Um, and that like cuts the connection to the parasites. So everybody else who's like possessed just kind of like crumples to the floor, which is very convenient. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, <laughs> Buffy crawls her way up from the hole and she's like 
I don't know, mucky or I don't know if it's bizarre blood or whatever. She's, she she like needs a shower. Black goo. Yeah. And this is this is my favorite thing about this show and other shows like this, right? It's that moment when the there's a villain about to confront the hero and the hero does something really badass and the villain is basically like, not today <laughs> and leaves. Yes. Right? Like he nopes out. Because that's what Lyle does here, right? Because um, when Tector dies, Lyle screams at her, this isn't over. And then Buffy, of course, you know, falls into the pit and stuff. And then she comes out and he looks at her. And before he and Tector, like when they showed up in the basement, they're like, oh, look at her. She's so cute and little. Yeah. Right. And they're kind of like making fun of her. They're being sexist. Well, she's still cute and little, but she just killed this monster that killed your brother. So Lionel just looks at her and he goes, okay, it's over. And he tips his hat, but very Southern. And then he, he GTFOs, which that is the one smart decision you have made this entire episode, Lyle. Like, get the fuck out of there. You don't know what you're dealing with. Because Buffy is Well, Buffy's looking so badass, covered in this black goop. She's like, I am not taking any more shit today. Like, this is gross, basically. And that's why he gets scared and runs away. And it's super satisfying to watch. It's like, I think this is one of the most powerful moments we've had uh, in terms of, like, a vision of Buffy being badass in a while. So... Everyone uh, is outside the school looking confused and dirty. I don't know how some of these kids that Buffy and this vampire were beating up aren't critically injured. <laughs> Ooh, good but point. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Giles is saying, uh, there's a gas leak, everybody. It's a gas leak. Let's get some air. <laughs> like, <laughs> So Xander is talking to Cordy and Willow and asking how they're doing. Willow asks if she hit him. And Xander says, yeah, you knocked me out. And Cordy's like did I hit you? And he's like, yes, everyone hit me. And Cordy says, oh, good. Well, not because I hit you, but because I didn't want to be left out. So I also like how Giles comes up to Xander after spreading the Gaslick story. And he's like, what was it actually? And Xander's like, go home, get some rest. I'll tell you in the morning. And it's it's an interesting little bit of role reversal there, right? Because Giles is normally the authoritative like guy in charge. Yeah. And now xander is the one in charge he's the one who knew what happened he's the one who doesn't need to like recover from possession like it's it's very odd and the episode kind of acknowledges it without going into too much detail yeah and it is like what you're saying earlier like it's nice to see xander's braver side like more heroic side coming out in this episode and that's part of that I do think, though, this episode would have benefited from one extra scene with Xander, just like in last episode with Ted. The episode would have benefited from Buffy and her mother talking about how her mother was sorry she didn't listen to her. I think this episode would have benefited from Xander talking to Cordy about punching her. I I mean, I think this episode would have benefited from Xander not punching Cordy. Well, I mean, that goes without saying. But the fact that it happened, I was like, couldn't Xander have said or like hugged her or did something but he doesn't address yeah. it at all. So what was the point of that scene then? Why? I don't know. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So Buffy comes up and she's wearing gym clothes now. And I guess she freshly showered and dried her hair <laughs> in this time. And uh, Xander tells Buffy that her mother's there and she's looking confused. So Joyce approaches Buffy and she's she's like, oh, my God, I was really worried about you uh, because there's a gas leak and I couldn't find you. And <laughs> Buffy says that she was in the gym. So, again, like Buffy, you could have lied here. 
You could have lied and said there was I a gas leak. I think Buffy should have, like, pretended to have been caught in the yes, gas leak. Yes, you could have lied. But Buffy is just terrible at coming up with lies and helping herself out in these situations. So Joyce, of course, decides that it doesn't matter if there's a gas leak. I'm going to be pissed. And she gets more stern than she's ever been. And she's like, you oh, need no. to learn responsibility once and for all. You're grounded and confined to your room. You can't leave unless it's for the bathroom or for school. Do I make myself clear? And Buffy says, it's clear. I won't leave my room. And Joyce is like, you're damn right you won't. And I was like, Joyce, does this mean you're going to be <laughs> sending dinner in a baggie up to Buffy's room? Every <laughs> I guess that's how they roll in the summer's house. That's, uh, that's what you have to look forward to. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Joyce chose to be pissed that Buffy survived this gas leak. Cut to Buffy and Angel making out again. And Angel's like, are you sure you're not going to get in trouble? And Buffy says she earned this and she's not breaking any rules. Because sure enough, we hear Joyce say, Buffy, are you going to bed? And Buffy says in a minute. And that's because she is in her room and Angel's at her window. Mm -hmm. And they make out until the screen turns black. And then after this, Angel turns into a human. Buffy and him get to live happily ever after, and their love is forever and eternal. Nothing sad ever happens to Buffy ever again, and this was the greatest series finale ever. <laughs> and thanks for listening to our Buffy Rewatch podcast, everyone. That's the end. <laughs> it ends here, happily uh, ever after. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Oh, I wish that was true, but... um. <laughs> don't worry Steph like you said earlier in this episode <laughs> it seems like the writers are escalating Buffy and Angel's relationship it's getting physical and stuff and so I can only imagine good things happening to Buffy and Angel going forward right they're going to get closer and it's going to be a great experience for both of them and what could possibly go wrong that's why I would just like to you know end the book here <laughs> This is this would be self-care for me if this was the last episode, <laughs> but it's not. Uh, we've got a whole slew of stuff coming up. So for now, um, who is your hero of this episode? It's got to be Buffy. I mean, Buffy and Xander are the only two people not affected by the bazaar. And despite my somewhat praise of Xander in this episode, as you have pointed out, there's still problematic shit that he does. And also, like, aside from carrying a rock and punching Cordy, how does he actually help? He just kind of disappears, and Buffy does all the heavy lifting in this mm -hmm. episode, so it's going to be Buffy. Yeah, I'm with you there. I put Buffy as well. The just the very act of her getting, I assume, swallowed up by the Bezor. In my mind, she got swallowed up by it, sure, and then she yeah. hacked it away from inside and then crawled her way out. That's that's hero shit. So Buffy goes to you to yep. this, this episode. I did enjoy the episode. However, I would definitely, out of the 12 episodes we've watched so far, this is bottom, bottom two. Ooh. I mean, some assembly required is pretty low on my list. Yeah. And so is Inca um, Mummy Girl to me. I think this is down there. This This is, yes, this is down there. More so because I think it's messy, though, than, like, I think I I would enjoy watching this episode far more than I would enjoy watching Inca Mummy Girl or even Some Assembly Required again. 
because this is a funny episode. It's funny, yeah. Like, yes, the story doesn't make a lot of sense. The gorges don't make a lot of sense. But there's so much to laugh at in this episode. And for you, Steph, at least, there's so much to enjoy when it comes to, like, the sexy times. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely watch it again for the epic makeouts. But I, I, I do think, like I said before, this episode is setting us up. It's, I mean, not just for Angel and Buffy sure. and how physical they're getting. Cordy and Xander were really physical in this episode, too. But we're also looking very closely at Joyce and Buffy's relationship and how that miscommunication, a lot of it wrapped around Buffy's secret, is still there and prevalent and weighing on both of them. So mm -hmm. that's why this episode is setting up so much for the second half of this season. Again, like, we get it, Joss. We get that kids when they get physical when they follow on their urges and they have sex with each other we get that they need to be punished by eggs that have demon parasites like i i see what you're doing here i just wish that um you know it wasn't so on the nose <laughs> this episode that's all so we have a couple hot steaks right hell yeah hell yes thanks guys we love hot steaks we, oh, by the way whenever you guys email or message us these hot steaks Kara and I talk about them immediately with each other. <laughs> We're always like, we got another hot steak, and we talk about it. So the first one is from Jessica, who emailed us ahead of time to talk about bad eggs. And basically what she says is that this is not a good episode. <laughs> so she says the bad guys are distracted, unclear, and underdeveloped. The storyline is thin and weak. The relationship between Buffy and her mom is unreasonably strained. However, I don't think that's the point of the episode. This is a focus on romantic relationships and posing the idea that sex can cause problems in preparation for the next pair of episodes and the rest of the season. So, uh, you're right on the same page as Kara and I, Jessica. Uh, she says that establishing and cementing and giving additional time to all of the kissing couples uh, makes it seem less rushed and less surprising when things get out of control down the line. And then she also points out that Oz, his relationship with Willow, uh, is not only not far enough along to be lumped alongside these other pairs, but Oz and Will's relationship is just not as risky or negative as the others, as it would appear to be right now. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think there's, there's some things in there that we're going to have to kind of reserve opinion on until we, we get to those future mm -hmm. episodes and we see how all of these relationships shake mm -hmm. out. But, you know, like you just said, you and I have come to similar conclusions as Jessica about how this episode's quality is very uneven, but it definitely sets a lot of things up. So thanks for sharing that thought, Jessica. So our next hot stake is from Casey, who previously wrote into us about her kind of perspective on Xander. Hi, Casey. <laughs> Welcome back, Casey. Uh, now she wants to talk about Kendra from What's My Line. Uh, and again, we very deliberately asked for commentary about Kendra from Black listeners because... Neither of us is black, so it's good to have people who know what they're talking about here. And so Casey is black. She does give us a disclaimer up front. I do not speak for all black women. We get it, Casey, but we love hearing your perspective as a black woman. So thanks for putting that disclaimer there. But whatever you've got to say here is valid, and we're always open to other black women's opinions as well. So Casey says, I've only rewatched the series once years ago, and I'm watching week to week with the podcast. 
Good for you, Casey. That takes stamina. <laughs> Steph and I have talked about how it's very difficult to restrain ourselves from just watching one episode a week. <laughs> Honestly, we would do more. Like, we would watch more episodes, but we just, we physically cannot record many more episodes <laughs> than we are right now. So, oh, um, she says, you know, I don't remember all the details, but I remember how I felt back then about Kendra. And I hated her. To be clear, I hated the portrayal of the character. I don't use that word hate often, but it applied then and I am getting the feels again. It boils down to these three emotions, confusion, anger, and disappointment. And I love the way you've summarized mm -hmm. this, Casey. So first off, we've got confusion and disappointment. Before Buffy, I watched Bianca Lawson in Saved by the Bell, The New Class, In the House, and sister, sister. So Casey is a Bianca Lawson scholar, <laughs> right? Like she knows her shit about Bianca Lawson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Casey goes on to say, seeing her in Buffy, I was psyched until she started talking. I grew up in Queens, an extremely diverse borough in New York. I heard a plethora of languages, dialects, and accents growing up. I'm sad to say it, but Bianca's Jamaican accent is just bad. I found it distracting, knowing she didn't have that accent in real life, and all I saw was the acting, and not the character. I was thinking this at 14. After watching the episode, now and then I was left wondering, why couldn't we have had an actual Jamaican play Kendra? Why indeed? Great question, yeah, Casey. Why indeed? <laughs> or, you know, just not have Bianca have an accent. <laughs> I felt like they did My Girl Bianca Dirty. I was disappointed that for those who may not have known Bianca previously, they'd think she was just a bad actress, you know, and representation matters. So when we get a chance in the spotlight, we gotta nail it. It's sad, but true. And you're so right, Casey. And then Casey finishes off with that emotion of anger and says... I get angry when I see any person of color on the show so far, and many other shows at the time having to be from some foreign exotic country with a mystical strange backstory, a character that won't get pop culture references or slang, and it gets played for laughs at their expense. We can't just get a slayer from another country with some similar personality traits as her white counterpart humorous, questions her destiny, quirky, smart, and overall badass? Why does it have to be so black and white? No pun intended. <laughs> Snap! <laughs> so good. Oh, so wow. Casey, like that was a long one, but we had to read that whole thing because again, we're so happy to hear your perspective and you make such great points, especially like it was nice to have that context of like, this is not Bianca Lawson's only acting credit. So if you recognize her from other shows at this time, she seems even more out of place the way that she, she's having to play Kendra. And so, so Casey, you are not the only black person to write in uh, and, and not, you know, have this negative opinion of Kendra's accent. So who's our next hot stage? We got a email from Lacey who gave us a lot of nice compliments. Uh, but what's exciting about Lacey is that they had just watched Buffy and Angel for the first time this January. And Cara, you know how much we love these new Buffy fans. So she's also from Ontario, just like us. And she wanted to reach out Ooh. and share 
her opinions about a few things. She had just listened to What's My Line Part 1 and says, While I'm Canadian, my mom and her side of the family are Jamaican. So when the subject of Kendra's accent came up on the podcast, I was shocked to learn that she was Jamaican. While I love her character, I agree with Steph that Bianca Lawson struggles with the accent. That being said, I call BS on anyone being consulted about this accent or that or that how it sounds is purposeful. I've been to Jamaica and have a lot of family members that live there. And while I cannot claim to have spoken with everyone there, I have never heard a Jamaican person with that accent. Absolutely. Like bang on. Yeah. Like I have a colleague who was born in Jamaica. She grew up there and she immigrated to Canada. She doesn't sound like that Mm -hmm. either. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, this is, it's just, it's a game. One of these weird, terrible things. And I really appreciate that. We're getting listeners who are writing in and sharing based on their lived experiences and their race and bringing that to the show. So thank you, Casey. Thank you, Lacey. Names rhyme. That's cool. (laughs) Did you guys plan Um, that or? (laughs) Yeah, great. That was amazing. You know, I think we've come down with the verdict of Bianca Lawson's accent. Terrible, (laughs) you know, portrayal of Kendra very problematic. We can now put to bed whether or not that accent is legit or not. We are still open (laughs) to hearing from people on this subject or anything else, especially when it comes to identities where Steph and I are lacking. Mm-hmm. Okay, so our final hot stake for today is uh, more of like a, a fan theory headcanon speculation on the subject of the Watchers Council. So this from comes from Kara, uh, not Kara. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, she she wants to talk about how we've kind of discussed the Watchers Council. We learn more about them later on in the series, but one of the things that does seem vague at this point, right, is the relationship between Watchers and potential Slayers, right? Like, how do they know who's a potential Slayer? Can they identify them? How do they know to start training them? So Kara says um, this is coming from a fanfic that she read. She couldn't remember the name, but she read this fanfic and says, um, in this fanfic, there is this proposition that the Watchers Council can identify potential Slayers ahead of time. And they will take a a Slayer at a young age, like they did in Kendra's case. But there are certain Slayers who are born into families where this wouldn't fly. So Buffy's an example of that because she's a white, middle-class American. And, you know, her parents would be like, no, we're we're not giving you our kid. (laughs) So... The the theory in this fanfic is that the Watchers basically write off those potential Slayers that they can't take at a young age. And if any of those Slayers are called up to become the Slayer, the Watchers basically abandon them and leave them to get killed really quickly so that they can hope that the next Slayer who gets called is more malleable and has been one they've been training. So the, the fic suggests that you know, Buffy's first watcher, Merrick and Giles are like, maybe they're not the cream of the crop. Maybe the Watchers Council has saddled Buffy with less prestigious watchers on purpose to kind of sabotage her so that she dies off early and can make room for the next Slayer. And that's a really interesting theory. Uh, So I I just, I love it when people share this stuff Mm -hmm. with us because 
that's the great thing about a show like Buffy is it has such a rich canon on its own, as we will discover as we go through the next uh, five and a half seasons. But at the same time, the fans are always trying to fill in these gaps and add more lore. You know, we talked about the Watchers Council at the beginning of this episode with how maybe they arranged for Joyce to come to Sunnydale. So maybe they are like more manipulative behind the scenes than we actually realize. So thank you for writing in and sharing. Yeah, that that was really interesting. Um, And again, anybody who has some cool information or an awesome personal story or something that they reflected on and want to share it with us, please send it through. We love them. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.